want to go ahead and get your Bibles out this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Romans 5, chapter 5 is where we're going to pick up today. Uh, verses 6 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can check under a, a seat near you or in front of you. You'll find underneath that seat a copy of, of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, we say this every week, but it's so important. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home. Write your name in it this morning. Take it home. We want to ensure that every single household has a copy of God's Word in it. And as you're doing that, as you're, as you're opening up uh, your Bible to, uh, to Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, uh, I want to start us off with a question this morning. Who in here is a, is a dog owner? Show of hands. Bunch of people. Okay, awesome. Uh, I... I I also uh, owned a dog, uh, have owned a dog, have owned many dogs. Um, the, my wife and I, the very first thing we did when we got married was buy a dog, probably not the smartest move. Uh, we had a baby, bought a dog and a house all within like six months. Don't recommend it. But, but I've, I've, always, uh, I've always loved dogs. Now, I, I, I've always loved the idea of being a dog owner, but I don't always love being a dog owner. Does that make sense? I don't always love love the act of owning an animal. It, it always seems like a fun idea, but then when you're scrubbing, uh, you know, the fifth pea stain out of the carpet in a day, it gets a little less fun. This this dog we got, we named him Jace. Um, he is a he's a full blooded yellow lab. We got him as a pup, and, and we were in love with this little guy. He was cute and cuddly, little lab, and then he started to grow. He became a monster, but we still loved him, but as time went on, we began to realize that our, our love for Jace was very conditional, that dogs are a, a lot easier to love when they're not destroying your home. It, it's, it's when he started, you know, peeing everywhere or chewing on the furniture or chewing a hole through the, the brand new pool cover or chewing the gas line in half. Those are when problems started to arise, and my love for him in those moments, decreased. In those moments, when you're standing there looking at the severed gas line, you're like, why did we do this to ourselves? Like, why did we get, I paid for this thing. I paid money to be here right now. You find out very quickly that your love for them is dependent upon how well they behave and follow your commands. The more they follow your will, the more you love them. Well, thankfully, that's not the case in our relationship with the Lord. In fact, as we look at what the Bible says about God's love for us in Romans 5 today, we're going to find nothing but the unconditional love that he has for us. Right? Not love based on how well we behave or how well we have behaved, but unconditional, what the Bible calls agape love. Today, as we work our way verse by verse and line through line through this short text, we're going to find the most monumental reason that we worship the Lord. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you've noticed that we've, we've been working the last two weeks over why we worship. The title of this series, Why Worship? Why do we worship? And then the first week, we, we started off with we worship God because he is faithful. And then last week, we touched on his greatness. Like we worship God because he is great. And this week... In our final week before launch Sunday, we're going to sit under the worship of, of why we worship God, and we worship God because of his love for us. Right, the big idea of the text today, as we're going to read, is that we worship God. We are led to worship Jesus 
because of his love for us. Now, if you're in the seat right now, you don't know Romans 5, you might be thinking, okay, how does God show his love for us? What is it about God's love that is, that is to incite worship in me? The greatest example of God's love we're going to see today. And it lies in the gospel of Jesus. Right? The greatest example of how God unconditionally loves us right here in the gospel in Romans 5. So we're going to dig into Romans 5 and see the love of Jesus through his gospel. In fact, in order to see this clearly, we're going to break the gospel up into three truths. Three truths about the gospel. And the first truth is this. Our first point today in verses 6 through 7, we're going to see that we as man are unrighteous. Read with me verse 6 of chapter 5 in Romans. Paul says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. And we're going to stop right there and, and just unpack those first two verses. Paul says again, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for us. He's telling us here that as a people, we are unrighteous. Now, I remember the, the first time I, I walked into a church. And some of you know my story, but if you don't know my story, I, got, I didn't get saved, didn't find Christ until I was 21 years old. And I remember at age 20, the first time I walked into a church and, and understood that I was in a church, you know, not as a kid, but I walked in as an adult. I wasn't a believer. And before I walked in, I expected to find a bunch of perfect people. Like, that's what I had in my head. Everybody who walks this door is perfect. I don't belong here. Everyone here is perfect. I expected to find a bunch of people who, who had it all together, a bunch of people who didn't struggle with sin, a bunch of people who were just perfect examples of human beings. And maybe that's you today. And maybe you've walked in this room today and you've never been to church before. Or in fact, maybe, maybe you've been to church your whole life but you've just had this, this belief in your head that all the people who go to church are perfect or all the people who go to church think they are perfect. Know that you're not alone. Right? I was the exact same way. 14 years ago, walking through the door of a church thinking, I'm going to stand out as the only sinner in this place. But I kept going back because I was curious about this Jesus guy who changes people's lives, and my life desperately needed changing. And after a while of attending and talking to people, I realized that I was surrounded by people who were just like me. People who were struggling with sin, people who were constantly falling short, just like I was. Right? They were all broken, and at one time, all of them told me how lost they were. And just like me, it all led them to this place in search for Jesus. That's when I came to realize the only difference between me and the people in this building worshiping on Sunday morning was that they had Jesus and I didn't. Paul tells us here in the first two verses, we are all weak. We're all weak without the Lord. We're incapable of pleasing God with our works. 
right? We as human beings, we're weak. We are too weak on our own to resist sin. We're too weak on our own to, to resist the temptations from Satan. To risk, to, we're too weak on our own to resist the temptation of our flesh. In fact, in this letter to the church in Rome, Paul tells us throughout the whole letter three essential truths about our human weakness. He tells us, here's three things about your weakness, three attributes to your weakness. He says this first, in Romans 3.23, Paul says, we are all sinners. Right, Romans 3.23, Paul says, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. The second thing he shows us is in Romans 5.10, which we're about to get to. He tells us, Paul tells us in Romans 5.10, our sinful nature makes us enemies of God. So we're all sinners, and because we're all sinners, we are enemies of God. Enemies of God. And lastly, in Romans 6.23, Paul tells us what we deserve from our sin and being enemies of God. He says the wage of our sin is death, eternal death. We are constantly falling short. And because of this, we are unrighteous in the eyes of God. And that is why we deserve eternal death. And that's the truth. Like, that's heavy. That's a heavy weight to bear. All of us in our sinful nature deserve eternal death. Let that sink into your heart this morning. There's nothing we can do about this. We are powerless to sin. We need a rescuer. We are dead. We are born in this condition. We need a savior, someone to rescue us from this death that we have earned. We deserve it. We need someone to take this death from us. But Paul gives us more bad news in verse 7. Again, look what he says in verse 7. He says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So what's he saying here? He's saying it's unlikely that someone would, would give their life for a righteous person. Not even really for a good person would someone probably give their life. And you are unrighteous. What Paul's telling us is as unrighteous people, the odds are not in our favor. Right? The odds are stacked up against us that someone would come who's innocent and freely take on the sentence of death for us. But we desperately, we desperately need someone to make us righteous. We cannot do this on our own. But there is hope. Right, as we continue to work through the gospel, there is hope. What the gospel is going to show us next is that we are loved by the Lord. Look with me in verse 8. Paul says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The first two words in the beginning of verse 8 are some of the most impactful words in the Bible. But God. Like before that, in the, in, the, in the two verses before those two words, it's nothing but bad for us. It's just death. It tells us we're unrighteous, we're ungodly, we are sinful, we are dead, but God. Right? Because of God, because of his love for us, we have hope. 
But God shows his love for us. That even though he knows we are sinners, he knows we are sinners. He knows we have fallen and will continue to fall to sin. He knows that we are unrighteous. Christ still died for us. I mean, sit under the weight of that for a second. Sit under the the weight of, of the fact that he knew that we were sinners, and yet he still chose to die for us. In fact, let me, let me just repeat that for you. We are all enemies of God, right? Sinful and wretched. We are constantly turning to idols, money, fame, lust. We as human beings are constantly uh, being tempted and pulled towards the things of the world. We constantly put other things in front of God, the busyness of our life, the busyness of our work. We constantly break his commandments. We constantly sin against him. And he still sent his son Jesus to die for us. He still sent his only son to bear our sin on the cross and give his life up for us. Jesus willingly allowed himself to be dragged off in chains, to be beaten until he was unrecognizable, then marched bloody through a city bearing a heavy cross, only to be nailed through his hands and his feet to it when he reached his final destination. And the Bible tells us he did all of that because he loves us. All that he endured, church, hear me, he did for us. Right? He, he endured all of that so that we would not have to. He took it all on himself. If you're in this room right now and you don't know why we worship Jesus, that is why. That is why we worship Jesus. Because he loves us enough to take on the death that we earned. And all we have to do to be rescued from that death is place our faith in him. That's all we have to do. Is believe in the truth that that event happened. We put our faith, our eternal life, our rescue from death in the fact that Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for us. And when we place our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Paul tells us we are delivered. In verses 9 through 10, he tells us we are delivered. Now, we just talked about the three truths in the book of Romans about our weakness. Look what Paul says in response to those three truths. Look at me in verses 9 through 10. Paul says this. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Remember, we just talked about those three truths of our weakness. Look at God's response to those three truths about our weakness. The Lord's going to show us here to each one of those three truths about God's love in response. Look at me. We, we said that in Romans 3.23, Paul shows us that we are all sinners. God's response is this. 
because of God's love in verse 9, we are justified by the blood of Jesus. Right? Through the, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, we are justified. Without that, there would be no hope. Right? There is hope in the blood. There is hope in the blood of Jesus. Without him doing that, without him sacrificing, there would be no hope for us. Through faith in Jesus, that he willingly went to the cross and took on our death, we are now justified. This word, justification, this, that by definition means, though you are unrighteous, through Christ, we can now be justified or seen as righteous in God's eyes. When God looks upon us, though we are sinful, because if we've put our faith in Jesus, we are seen as righteous. We were unrighteous, and because of his sacrifice, we can be seen righteous in God's eyes. And now, because of our faith in Jesus, now that we are seen as righteous in God's eyes, Paul tells us that we're no longer enemies of God. Our second point earlier, our second truth about our weakness was our sinful nature makes us enemies of God. Paul shows us here in verse 10, because of God's love, we are reconciled with God. Now, we, we talked about reconciliation about a month ago, right? what it means to be reconciled, right? to have peace, peace between two parties. Through the sacrifice that Jesus made, the Bible tells us we're reconciled with him. We're no longer enemies, but at peace with God. Through faith in Jesus, we can no longer be seen as enemies of God. And now because we are no longer enemies of God, that's going to take care of the, the last truth about our weakness. Romans 6.23, if you remember, we brought it up. We said, the wages of our sin is eternal death. God's response here is this, because of his love for us, we are saved from death in verse 10. We are saved from death. Paul says in verse 10, the second part of verse 10, he says, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Jesus took on the death that we deserve. I keep saying it over and over again. That is how important it is to understand that Jesus switched places with us. All right, who, who's ever heard the word propitiation? Show of hands. If you've been to Redeemer, I know you've heard the word propitiation. It's one of the, the greatest words in the Bible, propitiation. What this means is this. Jesus switched places with us. He took on our death, a death that he didn't deserve. Right? He lived a perfect life. He was a perfect man. He took on our death and gave us his righteousness. And we did nothing to deserve it. Nothing. He took on our death and gave us his righteousness. And through that act of loving sacrifice, we can now live eternally with him. All we have to do is place our faith in the truth of the gospel, that he went to the cross because he loves us. And when we place our faith in the good news of Jesus, 
in the good news that Jesus loved us through his sacrifice for us, it's going to motivate us, church, in two ways. It's first going to motivate us to go. It's going to motivate us to go and tell people about him. And we're going to dig more into that next week on Launch Sunday about what it means, what it truly looks like to go. But it also motivates us to worship him. It gets our eyes vertical to him, to worship him for his sacrifice. That's the second thing it leads us to. Our eyes must get vertical and worship Jesus for who he is and what he did for us. There's a perfect picture of this in the Bible of what this looks like to worship Jesus vertically. It's in Revelation chapter 5. It's a perfect example of what vertical worship looks like. And we'll have it on screen behind me here to help you worship through it with me as we read. But just just soak this in and picture this scene in your mind as we go through Revelation chapter 5 here uh, briefly. In this section of text, the Apostle John in Revelation 5 is getting a vision of the final days, right? He's getting a vision of the end times as Jesus is preparing to return. Here John is in this section is getting a glimpse of how Jesus is being worshipped in heaven. Read with me, Revelation 5 verses 1 through 10 says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And John says in verse 4, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And when he took, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And listen here in verse 9, church. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain. Your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. People in heaven are falling down on their faces and worshiping Jesus because of of the gospel all praise all worship to you king jesus for the blood that you shed for us this is how we should model our worship for him church like this is what's happening in heaven this is what should be happening in this place we should be falling down on our face day in and day out worshiping in the lord because of the gospel 
Now, whether this is the, the first time you're hearing the gospel, whether you have been saved for 30 years and, and, and the love of Jesus has, had hit you 30 years ago, it has to still motivate us day in and day out to worship him just like this. Some people think that the, the gospel is only for the lost, that it's only for people who don't know Jesus. Once you place your faith in him, you no longer need the gospel. We're good to go. We're good. That's a lie. Hear me. That's a lie, church. The gospel needs to live in your heart every single day. It's the incredible love of God that motivates you and keeps you in step with him. It motivates you to, into worshiping him for who he is and what he does and what he did for you on the cross. Church, we need the gospel daily. In our world today, we cannot go a day without it. How many of us let the, the busyness of life or the desires of our flesh get in the way of our walk and our worship of Jesus? Right? It can easily be done. We can get so preoccupied with what's going on in our day or what's going on around us. That's why the gospel has to live in the front of our minds and at the front of our mouths every single day. We need the constant reminder of what he did for us. We need a constant reminder of his love for us. When I send you out today, when we leave here today, that has got to be on your mind today. That every single day you should wake up and read the gospel. You should know the gospel. It should be written on your heart. People ask, how can I stop living this sinful life? Remember the gospel. Remember that though you're a sinner, Christ died for you. Now start living for him. Start living a life dedicated to him. We should be in the gospel. It should be in our mind every single day. And we're going to do that as a church, as a church body right now. Together today as a body of believers, we're going to take communion. Not just as a ritual, not just as something we do because this is church and we, we do communion. Because we need this constant reminder and reflection of Christ's love for us. So we're going to take some intentional time here as a church body to pray and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. How he was beaten how he was bloodied, how he walked to Calvary, how he bore our cross. How he spilled his blood for us, how he was nailed to that cross. And the whole time that was being done, he was begging for the forgiveness of the men, nailing him to it. We're going to take time today and just reflect on that. Now, if you're new to this and, and you, you don't even know what communion is, let me just explain that communion is a time for those in the room who have placed their faith in Jesus alone. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you have not trusted Jesus with your eternal salvation, I ask that you not partake, but instead just take this time and reflect on the gospel that's just been presented to you. Reflect on the truth that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, and through his resurrection you can live eternally through him so all of us we're going to take this time in silence to pray and remember the love of jesus the love that he showed us on the cross and then we'll come back together in a few minutes and take the bread and the cup let's pray
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. goes on to say, in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Church, if you would stand with me as we are going to continue in prayer and worship of our rescuer. We're going to continue in prayer and worship today as we continue to reflect, as we finish out our service this morning, continue to reflect on what Jesus has done for you. And let it not stop here, church, as we we pray and worship out of here, that this is just the beginning of a lifelong journey of worshiping the Lord Jesus day in and day out, just as he's being worshiped in heaven in Revelation 5. Let that sit on your heart this week. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to be here, God. The fact that without you, Jesus, without what you did on the cross, there would be no reason for us to be here. There would be no reason for the church to exist. We would have zero hope. But because of you, Jesus, because of what you did, because of your sacrifice, we are able to come here and sing praise to you. We worship you, God, because you are worthy of it, Father. Jesus, we worship you because you are the the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Father, you are the prince of peace. It is by your sacrifice alone that we have hope that we can be saved, that we can live eternally with you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. As As a church body, we come together to worship you and thank you. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Hallelujah for the cross, Lord. And now as we, c- we come together at the end of this service, Father, let us know throughout the week that this would motivate us, Father, that in our own lives, in our cars, in our office buildings, in our homes, we continually sing, sing to our families and sing to you praises, holy, holy, holy are you, God Almighty. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We purely ascribe your worth to you right now as a church body. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.